everybody. This is Sam Carcitti from Philly Hockey Now, and welcome to our Broad Street Bullcast. We have a very special guest today, the great Lou Nolan, who has been the Flyers' iconic public address announcer for over 50 years. Welcome aboard, Lou, and thank you for being here today. Well, uh, you're very welcome, Sam, and uh, thanks for those kind words. That's that's an interesting description. <laughs> too much. Too much. <laughs> You're, you're very uh, modest, uh, too modest. But uh, before we get into the Flyers, uh, and of course they're off to a very nice four and two start, uh, unexpected uh, start, I would say, especially going on the road and winning two or three against some really tough teams. But let's let's talk Phillies baseball a little bit because we ha- we had the intersection of the Flyers and the Phillies yesterday at the Wells Fargo Center, and uh, uh, I, I think uh, maybe. 20, 30 years from now, everybody will know, will still remember where they were when Bryce Harper hit the home run. Um, it's it's one of the most famous home runs in Phillies history. Uh, of course, it put the Phillies in the World Series. They beat the San Diego Padres. And, and way back in 1950 was probably the, the last time the Phillies had such an iconic home run. Dick Sissler hit one to put them in the World Series uh, they beat the Dodgers, and uh, that put them in the World Series. But I was actually, it's funny, I was actually in what, what amounts to a closet when Harper hit his home run. I was doing a spot on the NHL Network on Sunday. It was just a, a five- or six-minute spot on the NHL Network, and, and I couldn't go outside where the fans were because the fans were watching the Phillies game. You know, at the Wells Fargo Center on the big scoreboard. So I had to go to a place where it was quiet. So I found a, a quiet spot in Joseph Ville's office. He's the Flyers public relations director. And uh, uh, and you, I was down in the bowels, and you know it well, Lou, better than me, down in the bowels of the Wells Fargo Center and in this little closet adjacent to Joe's office. And uh, it was quiet down there, but you could even hear the roars from down there and I you know I looked on my phone and uh, the play-by-play and it just said Bryce Harper homers <laughs> and uh, but it was it was an incredible moment and where were you Lou when when Harper hit his home run and uh, of course it was shown on the big screen I don't know if, if you were out there preparing to start the game or if you were somewhere else where were you actually when that when that big home run was hit First of all, Sam, I know that closet, and it is a good place to go if somebody had not listened to a a momentous home run. Uh, I was in the press room uh, and uh, uh, sitting with the NHL office officials and uh, preparing for the game, uh, working on my script and uh, and watching the game at the same time. And uh, here comes Harper, and uh, he gets that pitch, and boom, you know, outside pitch, and he goes with the pitch. And, and like, it's just for a second, there's a, like a, huh. And then all of a sudden it erupts and the press room erupted with a tremendous cheer of one I've never really heard down there. Uh, any cheers from the press are sort of verboten, I guess, in, in press row. Uh, and it never happens. This was for, a uh, you know, our Phillies, which is, has nothing to do with hockey, uh, other than uh, be our sister from across the street. But uh, just fabulous and so much noise, like boom, and uh, uh, it, 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 it's wonderful. It's wonderful to, to be part of everything with the Phillies, and uh, boy, I certainly hope that uh, they have the same luck uh, moving forward uh, against the Astros. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be a tough up climb, but uh, um, 
you know, the Phillies have been underdogs of basically every series so far. So, you know, they had the momentum. It's uh, two team, two of the hottest teams, two teams that combined, I guess, are 16 and two in the playoffs. The Astros are seven and oh, the Phillies are nine and two. And that's a good lead into uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers are four and two. And uh, what's your impression so far on this uh, Flyers team? I don't think many people thought they'd be four and two right now, even after uh, a flat performance on Sunday against San Jose. But, uh, I would think four and two, you'd be very happy with that start. What are your impressions of the team so far, Lou? Well, Sam, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, they uh, have a bit more speed than they had last year, uh, a bit more idea of where they're really headed. Um, and in the game the other night, like, not a whole lot happened uh, back-to-back both teams. And uh, not none didn't matter. I mean, they went hard at one another for sure. Uh, but um, this is a, a very, very nice start for this club. Uh, I don't think the coach will ever be satisfied. That seems to be the way he is. I, I don't really know him. Uh, but he was always with the opposition when he, when he came in here. But I'm sure I'll get a chance to sit with him and have a chat. But, uh, you know, it's just... Um, these guys work hard, and um, by the end of the game, they were going as hard as they were at the beginning of the game. It just did not uh, amount to anything. Um, you know, once that uh, first goal was called off for the offside on the coach's challenge, uh, it just became a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until uh, you know uh, San Jose cashed in on a couple of couple of markers. Yeah, for those who uh, you know were tied up watching the Phillies game, and and uh, you didn't really get to see much of the Flyers game. The Flyers and the Sharks were 0-0. The Flyers scored a goal. Um, the uh, the Flyers had a power play, but uh, there was, there was a, a mix-up, and, and uh, the Sharks went on an odd man rush. And Kevin Hayes, to his credit, went back and did some good back-checking, took the puck away, prevented a two-on-one shot, and then came back the other way and... Made a terrific play to Scott Lawton, and Lawton made a great pass to Joel Farabee, who's a classic tic-tac-toe passing play, and Farabee knocked it in at the goal line, and the Flyers thought they had a one nothing lead, and, and uh, to San Jose's credit, now they challenged the call for offside, and, and you look at the replay, and uh, Scott Lawton was offside. It really wasn't his fault. Uh, Kevin Hayes did kind of a stutter step as he crossed the blue line, and uh, because of that, Lawton went in ahead of time, and he clearly was offside. It was, you know, probably about uh, eight inches to a foot, and uh, so the goal was reversed. And uh, only about a minute and a half later, San Jose scores an even strength goal uh, against Felix Sanson, who played pretty well actually in the game. And the Flyers ended up losing three uh, nothing. Was two nothing. They had an empty net goal. So. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a strange game. Both teams, as you mentioned, played back-to-backs, and the Flyers uh, were very listless for two periods. They came alive in the third period and actually outshot the Sharks 17-6 to in the third period. That was the Flyers' only good period. And what made it so strange was the Flyers' two leading scorers were benched in the third period. I'm talking about yep. Kevin Hayes and uh, Travis Konechny, and they were already missing their third leading scorer, James Van Riemsdyk, who was injured the first period, blocking a shot. So you're without your three leading scorers, and you have these makeshift ragtag lines that were all mixed up, 
and yet they uh, they outplayed San Jose in the third period, and and uh, uh, Torch delivered a message though he wasn't happy with Connecticut's play, wasn't happy with Hayes' play, and uh, did that surprise you, Lou? That uh, you know, in a game where you you're losing two nothing, where he he, he benched his uh, two leading scores. It did a little, uh, but uh, he sees things that I don't, uh, certainly, uh, as, a, as a, an NHL coach. But, um, uh, yeah, a little bit. I, I, I first noticed it when I saw how much Delorier was playing. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I mean, he, you know, he went right to the end. And uh, then, I, then you realize uh, you know, halfway through the period that uh, you don't see those guys and they settled heads, headsets. Uh, anyone seen Hayes? And, um, you know. Uh, he uh, uh, he's just sitting there watching it and probably stewing and figuring out uh, what he did wrong, or maybe he knew what he did wrong, or or something that the coach did not care for. Uh, but um, he, you know, um, uh, Torts is going to is not going to mess around. These guys are going to understand where they stand with this club, and uh, you know that's that's played out pretty well for him in, in the past. So I think it'll be fine with this with this guy. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think he has. I think he has his team really well conditioned. They've won most of the third period so far, and I think that uh, is a result of a tough training camp. And uh, you know, the Flyers uh, have controlled most third periods, and and they've been uh, uh, the more aggressive team late in the game. And and uh, I, as I said, I think they're in better condition than most of these teams. And uh, but what would you consider this uh, to be a good year for the Flyers? You know, would it be making the playoffs? Would it be, you know, just development of the young kid? What does Lou Nolan see as, uh, what could you call this uh, a successful season? Uh, both of those things, Sam. Uh, I think it, it is increasingly difficult uh, to to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's a tough division. Uh, and, um, you know, you you, you got to certainly have a, a good record to do it. But uh, I think along with saying, yes, let's make the playoffs, you couldn't do it without the development of the young guys because it's a young club. And um, so I think both of those are going to go hand in hand. Uh, and uh, I think the, the message will, will certainly come across. Like, you know, last night, you know, there was a message, no question about it. And, um, you know, these guys are going to understand that. There, there's nothing worse for a hockey player than just be sitting on the pine and uh, you're not going over for the next shift. Uh, you know, when the coach is tapping other people and you realize it's your turn uh, uh, and you're sitting there, it's just like, what did I do? And then maybe you, you reflect on it. And <laughs> I don't think you usually have a whole period to reflect on it, though, like those guys do. <laughs> yeah, and he, as you said, he delivered a message. And he delivered a message not only to those guys, but to the other players on the team, not just the two he benched and, and guys like Noah Cates and, and Wade Allison see that and and they know they have to play hard or, or they're going to be sitting on the pine, as you said, and, and uh, the young kids and, and even some of the veterans really really stepped up in the third period. You mentioned Delorier and he ended up with four shots in the game. That, that might be a career high, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, uh, good point. There was a message not only to the two bench, but everybody else i'm gonna switch gears a little bit you've been now you've been back downstairs this year you were upstairs because of covid uh, the setup was a lot different for two plus years and and can you talk a little bit about that uh, how uh, how difficult it was maybe to 
to make calls from upstairs in the press level, you know, with, with uh, the rest of the writers, and uh, as opposed to being downstairs at ice level and, and you know, right by, right by all the action. Well, Sam, yes, I, I think there's a detachment. Um, you know, I always tell people that uh, uh, if I went one more row, I'd be on the catwalk. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had monitors. I had monitors and a producer, uh, Tina DeVillo, who, who was my boss. And, you know, that all helped. Uh, but, you know, you, you miss certain things. Like, this, for instance, you know, you go to a break, you come back from a break, and next thing you know, play starts, they drop the puck, and there's a penalty up there, you know, because the referees, you know, the referee doesn't say anything because the light's on. You know, he doesn't, doesn't right. say his, uh, uh, his penalty or whatever. And we've had a couple of instances where, uh, you know, you, you miss an assist or something of that nature. Um uh, my communication with the office officials has always been good and they are absolutely outstanding, but uh, it's just being that far away from it is, is hard. But all the announcers went upstairs or somewhere in the building other than where they were stationed in the penalty box. I know Toronto, uh, the guy in Toronto has been upstairs for, for a while and a couple of other places have been off the ice, but uh, you miss a lot. You miss a lot of detail and uh, we'll see, we'll see how long that works like that. I, the team wanted me down there, and I wanted to be down there. I, I, I missed it a lot. Um, and um, I mean, not that I didn't get a chance to interact with you guys uh, up there. But, but uh, you've so, been downstairs, though, all year now this year, right? I have. Yeah. Right, right. After, after preseason. We did right. preseason upstairs, and then I moved down for game one. Right, right. Okay. We started this by talking about the, the Phillies. And, uh, you know, there, there's mass hysteria. The fans are really into the Phillies, and rightfully so. It's been an unbelievable run. Can you take us back to what it was like, you know, when the Flyers are winning their cups? And, uh, you know, Joe Watson is famous for saying, you know, when the Flyers were introduced in 1967, they had a welcoming parade. 25 people showed up, and he said that there were more players and club personnel in the parade that were watching the parade and and then seven short years later and you were a big part of it you you were in the parade and and uh, 2.3 million people watched the flyers and for those that are young out there and didn't experience the flyers uh winning the two cups what was what was the atmosphere like what was this city like when the flyers were uh, in their heyday in 74 and 75 well First off, uh, it was a spectrum, uh, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, it, it could be placed inside of the Wells Fargo Center lengthwise. So there was a different ability to capture sound inside the building. And that crowd, uh, when, when, you know, we won that first cup, May 19th, 1974, and I forget the date, it built up, you know, and things were going really well. And then when Bob Ewer got the penalty at the end, it really started. And my headset, you know, was crackling from the noise. I mean, it was unbelievable. But uh, that aside, the parade, uh, we gathered that morning. They, they put us out to, to uh, and the guy came in from the city and said, uh, well, we're going to run up to uh, Spruce Street and then we'll slow down and there'll be people there. And we said, OK. And uh, it was a day after. So it was, you know, whew, a mess. And um got outside and started up and there were people right away, right away. 
inside the parking lot and, and immediately when the cars turned and the crowd just built and built and built. I mean, people were, this was before greased poles, huh? <laughs> so they were hanging everywhere. You know, people were outside windows. There was ticker tape. It was unbelievable. And, um, you know, with the, with the smaller cars, all Cadillac convertibles, uh, I guess the dealers got together and got those. That was great. Uh, it, it, uh, it was, the people were right there. They're yeah. right there. And the police, you know, they could hand you, uh, drinks, you know, which was fine. And, uh, you know, everybody was a part of it and, uh, it was unbelievable. Then down to Independence Mall and, and, and Kate Smith, uh, you know, singing, uh, at the mall. And, and as far as you could see, just people, people, masses of people. But, um, and it was, it's the kind of thing that right now makes me tingle thinking about it. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just amazing. You can't, you can't explain it. Yeah. Bernie, Bernie Pride tells the story where, uh, you know, he had, uh, one too many cocktails and he had to relieve himself and he, and he, and he ran into a row house because, you know, he said, I need to use somebody's bathroom <laughs> and, uh, ran into a row home and, and used their bathroom and then came back out and climbed into the, uh, the convertible, so it was uh, it was and someday there. They holded the parade for that and escorted him into that home. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's a there's a, a story that uh, they took that toilet seat off and saved it. Uh, yeah, I heard I that. I don't know whether they, that's the case or not. But I, uh, I think they put it in the shadow box. You know, thirty p uh, here, it said, or something like that. But. <laughs> It was a golden time. There's no question about it. <laughs> good one, good one. And and uh, I, I'll give a shameless plug to our book here too, Lou, because uh, all these uh, stories are in the book we did a few years ago called "If These Wolves Could Talk." And Lou uh, did an amazing job of you know retelling these stories. There were there were hundreds of them, and uh, uh, yeah, we we had a great time doing that. But we're going to take. A short break right now, and we'll be back with some questions from fans to Lou Nolan. And uh, thank you for listening to our Broad Street Bullcast. Thank you again for joining our Broad Street Bullcast. And we have special guest Lou Nolan, who has been with the Philadelphia Flyers, the only person who's been with the Philadelphia Flyers since their inception in 1967. And Lou has been uh, the PA announcer since 1972 and we have a couple questions for Lou thanks again for joining us and uh, first question comes from uh, Tim A he says how different is the culture within the organization since Mr. Snyder passed away uh, interesting question yeah it is uh, and uh, I reflected on it a few times I think that I can best answer that by saying that um, the the culture uh, from the beginning in 67 uh, was, was a small organization uh, and um, family oriented so to speak because it was so small and uh, you know you, you got to know really everybody that was involved in the organization and you know then you win a couple of championships and it becomes even more of a family uh, and uh, you know you roll along and, and things are what they are now, um, Ed, and he always wanted to be called Ed, um, was was the consummate leader of that organization that began small and ended large. Uh, you know, when uh, 
uh, when the whole situation with uh, the buildings and new buildings and Sixers and so forth uh, was all merged into one operation. I mean, talking about a large company, a very, very large company. That was the major change when, when it switched to a large company. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say that it's detrimental because I don't really think it is. I think that fans see it as, as a, geez, I love that as a family and it doesn't seem to be a family anymore. Well, you know, it really is still a family uh, when you get right down to it and when you, uh, um, uh, are part of it. I think decisions get made for different reasons, uh, based on, on whether or not, uh, it's, it's a small group or a large company, but uh, generally, uh, I think that uh, the, the bottom line is put the best product you can on the ice and get the right players to come in and work hard along with the right coaching situation. And um, I really believe that, uh, you know, we're on the way at this point. Uh, to being a much better operation from the standpoint of the hockey operation and where it's going to, where it's going to settle, you know, um, that's real key. I mean, a hockey operation is, is, is one as it, as it stands, but where it finishes, you know, I mean, I don't know where it's going to finish, but at the outset here, I think everybody would probably say uh, it's better now this year than it has been. And I think that's just a product of, uh, of draft young kids uh, who want to work hard and a coach who has the ability to convince them that, uh, you know, they can be part of all of this, uh, you know, the young guys. Uh, so um, you get veterans and young people and you put them together. Right? I know that the team is as young as it's been in a long time. I think you'll probably agree on that, Sam. So, yeah, you know, as they move forward, you know, hey, who knows? Yeah, I think the average difference is the size of the operation, the company. Right, right. But to your point on youth, I think the average age is is like uh, twenty five and a half, and uh, the league average is uh, twenty seven. So they are with the younger teams, and I, and I agree. I think bringing John Tortorella here was was uh, a move to get this thing turned around, and I think it was probably the best move Chuck Fletcher made in the off season. And, uh, uh, but, uh, Tim, a, uh, we appreciate that question. And by, by the way, we were plugging our book, uh, a while ago, I got plugged, uh, Alan Bass wrote a terrific, uh, biography on Ed Snyder, which uh, just came out maybe a week or two ago. And we've been running excerpts on Philly hockey now of Ed Snyder, um, Ed Snyder's biography by Alan Bass. So get a chance, uh, pick that up. It's called the last sports mogul. And, uh, Alan did a terrific job on that. Next question comes from... Uh, before you say that, I would say that uh, yeah, grab that book because I think it took me a day to read it. <laughs> I just... I was just... I just loved it and I really enjoyed it and Alan was able to put it together in, in a fine way such as you were uh, in, in uh, you know, These Walls Could Talk. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that but uh, um, yeah, and I'll pass that along to Alan too. I know who... Uh, uh, coming from you, it means a lot. That uh, yeah, they're just some great stories about Ed and and you know from uh, his family owning a grocery store and then all the way up. He was uh, you know a self-made guy and and you don't as the book says you don't see that 
nowadays. I mean, now you have to be, now you don't get rich from a sports team, right? You're already rich when you buy a sports team. That wasn't the case when, when Ed Snyder, you know, purchased the Flyers, you know, with Jerry Wallman. They were the co-founders. And uh, just a, a different time and a very interesting reading. But, um, but we'll jump now to Patrick Hart. He asked, um, excluding or in addition to Cam York, what current players from the Lehigh Valley fans do you think will be with the Flyers by the end of the season? Well, interesting question, for sure. I think the second half of the Cates combination has a chance. And, you know, it's injuries play a big part in this, you know. Uh, I, and, and I once uh, chatted with the gentleman, the Brooks Brothers, that own uh, the franchise in Lehigh, and they said, Lou, you know, when someone is hurt, you guys don't call and say, send us a player. You say, send us the best player. <laughs> it makes right. it challenge. Right. So, uh, you know, it's the best player that's always coming up to fill the spot. And that's the way it really ought to be. Uh, you know, goaltender-wise, you know, you and I have talked about this. Perhaps Samuel Erson heads back. Uh, we still have a goalie uh, near the Arctic Circle, so to speak. I don't okay. know what will play out of that. Yeah, uh, I, certainly not I, with I, Lehigh. I wish he was, yeah. Uh, Lazinski, who was one of the last guys that sat down, could be back. Uh, and um, uh, I guess that uh, Fraze, uh, uh, Forster, Tyson Forster is another yeah, guy. Yeah, you know, Lizinski, back. Been, yeah, Lazinski's been back and forth. He's back right now, but... Yeah. but you know, he, and I'm sure he will be back with the Phantoms too before too yeah. long because because John Tortorella has said we're going to have players coming and going and going and coming and, and that's going to happen. Forster's an interesting one. You mentioned him and and uh, he's only 20 years old and he's got a big shot. I love this kid. I think he's going to be an, uh, an NHL uh, star for a while and he's going to be probably probably the only guy in their system that I I see has, you know, a chance to be a 30 goal scorer. They haven't had many of them that were homegrown. And uh, I think Forster one day will be a 30 goal scorer, but he, he needs some seasoning. I know Chuck Fletcher says he's not going to rush him, but uh, as you mentioned, you know, injuries happen. You can't control injuries. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we will see Forster here at a young age, maybe in the second half of this year. But uh, uh, And you mentioned Samuel Erson. What did you think of his play in the uh, preseason? I liked him. I liked him, Sam. I thought he did fine. Uh, and, uh, you know, but but you got to play, you know. You have to play. And, and when, they, when guys go back um, in any sport, you know, you're called into the – uh, coach's office or the manager's office and you know you're not playing it benefits you to play somewhere uh, if you have the talent uh, and, and to move back up um, but um, yeah I thought he did fine uh, yeah. Um, I, yeah I like his composure he, he seems uh, locked in he says uh, you know he, he doesn't get too high doesn't get too low and he says uh, you know when he was younger he kind of modeled his game not his game as much but his attitude after Carey Price and, and, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low, you know, when things are going bad. And he, he just uh, really was locked in. And uh, he's also a pretty good start with the Phantoms, too. We'll, we'll jump ahead to the last question from sure. Left Coast Flyers. I, I think this person is from the L.A. area. And he says, uh, does Lou have any pregame rituals like the players do? 
Huh. Interesting. Well, uh, I try to arrive to give myself enough time uh, to do what I need to do to prepare myself. One of the things that I, I, I normally do is the uh, day of the game, before I head out for the center, I'll pick up uh, and look at the roster of the visiting team from the standpoint of pronunciations. Because the last thing that I want to do is to embarrass myself and a player by uh, by a bad a bad pronunciation. It's become more difficult, for sure, uh, you know, in the last few years because of the, the numbers of individuals from Europe that come in. But uh, for the most part, uh, uh, it's that. It's um, uh, being... Being outside, uh, now that I'm back downstairs, being outside the room, seeing the guys there on the way out uh, when they come out and like uh, congregate out in the hallway before they um, they charge out, so to speak, uh, and um, you know doing a lot of high fives. In fact, I was wondering uh, why my knuckles on my left hand hurt, and it's because of the fives that I get from closed hockey <laughs> gloves. Are, are not soft they're like boom so uh and i realized that that's the reason uh, it'll go away in a couple of days but uh, uh back to back with that would not be good <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah especially with that, nick deloria is giving you the high five yeah i just want to you know uh I get, get my water get set get ready to roll um know who uh who the additions are uh not embarrass myself or a player with a wrong name and um you know eat a pregame meal with uh with my friends from the nhl office officials and um you know those kinds of things i think that's the only real real um you know ritual thing yeah. that i would do as a ritual yeah all right i can't thank you enough lou for uh, taking the time man you're uh, a busy person and uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, uh before i let you go we started this with the Phillies. You've got to give me a prediction on the Phillies Astros World Series. Who's going to win it? How many games? And we'll let you go. I'm taking the Phillies in six. All right, all right. So you know, I know the Astros are good, but I I like our pitchers, and you know, there's going to be time. There's time. It starts Friday, right? Yep, Friday night at uh, I believe eight oh seven, and uh, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have uh, another parade down Broad Street and. Uh, Lou, you you know all about those parades, right, Lou? Sure do, and that would be really something because this group is just loved by by the fans, uh, uh, Flyers fans, Phillies fans, Eagles fans alike. Everybody loves the Phillies today. Yeah, and I think the, the thing about the Phillies is they enjoy each other. They enjoy the game. It, it, you just feel, you know, how they really love each other, and and. And, and I got that feeling, I must say, from the Astros watching them beat the Yankees yesterday. They were a, cl- a close, tight-knit team, and just like the Phillies. And I, I think that plays a big part in it. And, uh, uh, you know, the Flyers are trying to build that uh, close-knit foundation as well. And, and some of it comes with winning. And hopefully uh, it won't be too many years down the road that the Flyers are in the position the Phillies are in now. But, Lou, again, thank you so much. And, uh we will see you uh, at the Wells Fargo Center on Thursday. Thank you, Sam. I do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, the opportunity to be part of your uh, podcast is important to me. So thank you. Thanks, Lou. Take care. Thanks again for listening to our Broad Street Bullcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast.
on whichever platform you use. And as the late, great Gene Hart was fond of saying, good night and good hockey.